You've heard us discuss the exorcisms of Annalise McKell and Michael Taylor. But why did those exorcisms occur? Where did the practice of exorcisms come from? Today, we explore the history of exorcisms. We'll look at how it was developed and how it varies in many different forms of religion, from a Buddhist annual dance celebration to the much darker and aggressive Catholic exorcisms, we'll explore how each religion differs and how they allegedly work in driving out evil forces from those possessed. To wrap up, we'll also take a look at three different exorcism stories. I'm Mike. I'm Ian. And I'm Dave. Feeling possessed lately? Need to have your demons removed? Stick around. The power of Christ compels Christ you. Compels you. The power of Christ power compels of Christ you. Compels you. The power of Christ power compels of Christ you. Compels you. This is Necronomapod. Possession is when the devil actually takes over the operation of the body of the person, and the person doesn't even know what's going on. Hmm. It's much how, more serious. How common is this sort of diabolical uh, uh, manifestation? Well. It's kind of hard to say exactly how common it is. Certainly in the time of Jesus, we have examples in the Gospels of where Jesus exorcised people, the devil from people. And down through the centuries, um, the church has always been involved in helping people get rid of the devil. Uh, rites of exorcism were developed as early as the 1200s. There was one in 1583 and the current one, 1614, that's just been replaced by a new one put out in 1999. So we're back to something we have not talked about in 13 months. Can you guys believe that? 13 months? No, you're lying. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't seem like 13 months. It was June of 2019 when we did The Exorcism of Michael Taylor. It does not seem like it was that long ago. That guy ate his wife's face off, right? Yeah. That was just a crazy episode. Wasn't that the guy that also Ian claims is 30, but he looks 78? <laughs> I think it's the same guy. That was the fixation yeah, was, on that story. Yeah, the guy's picture. Yeah, he was like 32. You wouldn't believe me. He was just balding. I still don't believe you to this day. That picture is, go back and look through our either Facebook or Instagram or Twitter to June of last year, 2019, and look at this photo of Michael Taylor and tell me if you think that guy is 32 years old. It, maybe that could be his dad, but that was not him at 32 years old. That was ridiculous. But anyways, we're back on exorcisms today, and I have a question for you guys. Would you rather sit in and witness an exorcism or sit in on a ghost hunt in a alleged haunted house? Mm. What would you rather observe and be a part of? Are either of these things guaranteed to be real in this hypothetical? No. You just like you're going to tag along with a priest as he does an exorcism, or you're going to tag along with some ghost hunters while they go... Uh, you know, visit a location that they believe there might be haunted. I think I'm going to the exorcism. I think I would do the ghost hunt because if the person dies during the exorcism, like we're going to talk about later, I don't want to be involved with the police <laughs> in, in the aftermath of that. Good point. It's a good good point. point. You you wouldn't be a part of it though. You would just literally be in the corner observing for both situations. So. Mm. I think I'm still going to go with the ghost hunt. With the ghost hunt, okay. I've been on ghost hunts. On I didn't see anything. What if I would have thrown in like a Mothman hunt? Mm. Like in the abandoned like caves big, and stuff? Like a, yeah. Like a Bigfoot hunt, something like that. I would, would like that to go. change what yeah, you guys may, pick? Uh, maybe. I'd like to go on a Bigfoot hunt. Yeah. With all those hillbillies. Big, yeah, Bigfoot hunts 
seemed to be like a kind of a fun idea. And then I watched when, some of those shows, and there, there's just a bunch of guys running around out there with guns, just ready to shoot I was, something. So. I was going to ask: when you register for like a Bigfoot hunt, do they mail you your can of bush light and your gun, or do they give that to you when you arrive, like to start? Because goddamn. I think, uh, going back to the initial question, I think I'm going to lean with on Dave's end. I think I would rather witness an exorcism. I feel like even if nothing happens with either, it's still going to be a little bit more exciting to see like the exorcism thing happen. That's just my thought. I went on a, a ghost hunt in Gettysburg one time. I didn't really yeah. see anything. And then the guy went and parked the bus next to a dumpster and then started to tell a story how that in that part of town, sometimes you'll smell like terrible smells and stuff. <laughs> Like, <laughs> dude, we're standing next to a fucking dumpster. What are you talking about? It's ridiculous. Next to a dumpster, turns the heat up, yeah, closes right. all the windows. He's like, you might smell something. <laughs> hmm. All right. Well, Ian, let's get into it. History of exorcisms. All right. An exorcism is the religious or spiritual practice of evicting demons or other spiritual entities from a person or an area that is believed to be possessed. Depending on the spiritual beliefs of the exorcist, this may be done by causing the entity to swear an oath, performing an elaborate ritual, or simply commanding it to depart in the name of a higher power. The practice is ancient and a part of belief systems of many cultures and religions, which I had no idea about because I always just thought of it as uh, you know, the Catholic version of it. Yeah, right. That makes sense. I will say it's odd that atheists don't normally get possessed, though. <laughs> I knew when we, when we decided to do this, and then especially when I started writing the outline for it, I'm like, this is just setting up softballs for Dave all I mean, night. <laughs> he's going to have a fun time true. with this one. Atheists are protected Tonight, from possession, apparently. <laughs> we're going to call this episode The History of Exorcism slash Dave Rose Religion. <laughs> I'm going to keep an open mind, fellas. Let's not say that. <laughs> I was, for the first time ever last night, I was scrolling through our iTunes reviews. I was amazed at how many people were get, get upset at Dave for his religious comments. Like, there wasn't a ton, but I saw like five or six just in 2020. Yeah, it's my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> your, your, your God will be okay. Don't worry about me. <laughs> He's all, he their God's this. all powerful, but they worried about what I say in a stupid podcast. Okay. They don't love it. They don't love it. Requested and performed exorcisms began to decline in the United States by the 18th century and occurred rarely until the latter half of the 20th century when the public saw a sharp rise due to the media attention exorcisms were getting. There was, quote, a 50% increase in the number of exorcisms performed between the early 1960s and the mid-1970s. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, what year did the movie come out? Is that 73? I believe it's 73, yes. Yeah. Hmm. Convenient. I, I think. I, I think we talked about that before in one of these other shows we did, where like the weeks following that movie, you know, like calls to the Catholic Church requesting exorcisms, you know, were up like you know ten thousand percent or something crazy. <laughs> My kids being bad. I need an exorcism right now. <laughs> they were dishing out exorcisms like they dish out Ritalin. In Buddhism, the ritual of exercising Ghost Day is part of Tibetan tradition. The Tibetan religious ceremony Gudor, which literally translates to offering of the 29th, is held on the 29th of the 12th Tibetan month, with its focus on driving out all negativity, including evil spirits and misfortunes of the past year. 
and starting the new year in a peaceful huh. and positive way. I thought you were supposed to spend the new year hungover as fuck. <laughs> like yours last year? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> wife, wife not talking to him for a week. Yeah. <laughs> I have not. I gave up shots on that day, and I have not done a shot of liquor since, and I will not do a shot of All liquor right. again. Smart. Yeah, I did. I, I had to do close to 20, I think. <laughs> on top of that, I was pounding Dos Equis like it was my job. <laughs> it was a rough January 1st, 2nd, and 3rd for this guy. No doubt. Well, I was going to say I have a similar tradition on the 29th day of the 12 month, which is, you know, my fifth straight day of day drinking all day to put up with relatives that are visiting for the holidays. <laughs> Plus, like just being off work, right? What else are you supposed to do? Absolutely. Yeah. You're snowed in. Might as well just drink. <laughs> the temples and monasteries throughout Tibet hold these really big religious dance ceremonies. Families clean their houses on this day, decorate the rooms, and eat a special noodle soup. And in the evening, people carry torches and calling out the words of the exorcism. So there's is not just directed at one person. It's just like a ritualistic annual kind of cleansing of like their spirits, right? Yeah, just getting like those it's, bad vibes off you. Yeah. I can get behind that one. What's it going to hurt, right? Yeah. Sounds Plus, fun. I want, I want some special noodle soup. Love noodles. Sounds delicious. In Hinduism, their beliefs and practices pertaining to the practice of exorcism are prominently connected with Hindus. One of the four Vedas, which is the which are the holy books of the Hindus, is said to contain the secrets related to exorcism, magic, and alchemy. Reading the third, seventh, and ninth chapters and mentally offering the result to departed persons helps them to get released from their ghostly situation. Continuous playing of mantras, keeping scriptures and holy pictures of the deities Shiva, Vishnu, Hanuman, Brahma, Shakti, and especially of Narasimha in the house, burning incense, sprinkling water from holy rivers, and blowing conches are other effective practices. You ever blown a conch, Mike? Well, yeah, <laughs> college all the time. All right, checking. That's when you prematurely ejaculate, right? <laughs> I was known for that. I blew many a concha. This is the second time we've got to talk about uh, Shiva the Destroyer briefly. Those paintings are fucking last? badass. Um, Shinrikyo in one of their, their headquarters uh, where they yeah. had all their chemical weapons being built. They had a huge Shiva the Destroyer uh, statue in the middle of it. Shiva, Shiva might be the coolest god in all of uh, religious beliefs, I think. Shiva, the patron god of Necronomapod. <laughs> it is also believed that praying to Lord Hanuman gives the best result. Some believe that just uttering the name of Lord Hanuman makes the evil forces and devils tremble in fear. Mm. Lord Hanuman. It worked. You I should think. be good now. Right. <laughs> you know, it's always funny to talk to people, like religious people in this country, about things like that. And like, oh, those people are crazy. That stuff's nuts. They don't realize that their stuff's just as nuts as all of this stuff. In Islam, Islamic exorcisms might consist of the treated person laying down while a sheikh places a hand on the person's head or reciting verses from the Quran, but this is not mandatory. The drinking or sprinkling of holy water may also take place along with applying a clean non-alcohol-based perfume in the air. Specific verses of the Quran are recited which glorify God and invoke God's help. 
In some cases, the call for daily prayers is also read, as this is the effect of repelling non-angelic unseen beings or the jinn. You want to see some cool videos, search uh, like jinn possession on YouTube. Some of those are the really gin. creepy. And that one oh, jinn video. We talked about this before. Didn't we do a bonus show, like a news story on the gin, or like one, one, like a, like a, some kind of haunting, like gin haunting or something? I think we've we've caught, talked about them before. That was your story, the the Iraqi graveyard where they were yeah, saying that's that what the it was. Yeah, right. Yeah, they like they were they were digging up graves, but in doing so, they were being haunted by gin, or they there was allegedly being haunted by gin. It's a wild story. Yeah, those are creepy stories, some of those. Do you remember the one video, though, where we're out in a desert and with the headlights and they're trying to drive out of there and the guy's screaming and the thing's yeah. walking all crazy? It's really fake, but it's really fun. <laughs> it's, it's really terrifying. terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can hear the gin or the supposed yes. gin in the video start screaming and shit. And it has like a cane <laughs> and it's walking all fucking weird and shit. <laughs> but, and the guy's like screaming in Arabic, like, get me off. It's great. It's so funny. <laughs> They also like don't drive away quick enough. Like right. it reminds me of the backup Terry video. It's like, get the fuck out of there. Back up, Terry. What you doing? Get out of there. And it's like this gin is getting closer and closer to him. Ooh, scary. Yeah, the gin are also a future episode. The gin deserves an episode of it for itself. Mm-hmm. That'd be a fun one. The Islamic prophet Muhammad taught his followers to read the last three surahs from the Quran. The fidelity, the dawn, and mankind. Hadith reporting Muhammad, but also Jesus performing exorcism rites serve as an example and permissibility for exorcism rites. So meaning it goes way back. Yeah. The Jewish forms of exorcisms is performed by a rabbi who has mastered practical Kabbalah. Also present is a group of 10 adult males who gather in a circle around the possessed person. The group recites Psalm 91 three times, and then the rabbi blows a ram's horn. What do you think that sounds like? I don't know. (laughs) That sounds too normal to me, though. I've heard of other stories where 10 adult males stand around in a circle and something else gets blown. (laughs) (laughs) Is it weird that when you just said 10 males stand in a circle, my mind went to a, a... an elephant walk? <laughs> no, no, no. Isn't that what it is? That's is what that I'm what talking about. Yeah, an elephant walk. Oh, but that's not blowing, right? What's an elephant walk? Yeah, I'm, I'm confused. What is that? Where you just grab the dick of the guy in front. Like, you you all just jerk off the guy next to you. Oh, like a circle jerk? Yeah, like a circle um, jerk. I never but heard like... of elephant walk. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was his, uh, I don't know. <laughs> huh, all right. I'm, I'm looking up the official <laughs> definition. <laughs> Yeah, okay, so elephant walk is a hazing ritual where you hold the penis of the person in front or behind you and you walk around. Oh. So hmm. it's like walking walking around holding each other's dangles. So like in the hmm. basement right. of your college fraternity house. I mean, it could be, sure. If it's uh, if you're using it as a hazing technique, we did not haze, of course. Oh, of course not. Well, this ram horn is blown in a certain way with various notes and tones in effect to, quote, shatter the body so that the possessing force will be shaken loose. You know who else liked to get blown in a certain way? College Mike. (laughs) Who did you say? Sorry, I didn't hear what you said. I said College Mike. Oh, of course. Very peculiar about that. He was shattering something Particular about that. Particular, (laughs) not peculiar. Oh, boy. Too much Miller Lite already. 
after it has been shaken loose, the rabbi begins to communicate with it and ask it questions, such as why it is possessing the body of, of the person. <laughs> what are you doing here? What's the matter with you? <laughs> the ten men may pray for it and perform a ceremony for it in order to enable it to feel safe and so that it can leave the person's body. That's a good demon. Good boy. Come on out of there. <laughs> in Taoism, exorcisms are performed because an individual has been possessed by an evil spirit for one of two reasons. The individual has disturbed a ghost, regardless of intent, and the ghost now seeks revenge. An alive person could also be jealous and use black magic as revenge, thereby conjuring a ghost to possess someone. Members of both Chinese ritual officers and priests ordained by a celestial master perform Chinese rituals, in particular exorcisms. Historically, Taoist exorcisms include chanting, physical movements, and praying as a way to drive away the spirit. Rituals such as these occur during festivals and are considered of low order during these festivals. They're more for entertainment than anything else during these festivals. I mean, I'm sure it's fun, right? Sounds like a good time. I'm always down for an elephant walk. <laughs> <laughs> All right, duly noted. <laughs> the leaders of the exorcisms create a dramatic performance to call out the demon so that the village can once again have peace. The leaders strike themselves with, sharp, with a sharp weapon so they bleed. The blood is considered to be a protector, so after the rituals, the blood is blotted with a tissue and put on the door of houses as an act of protection against these evil spirits. Then we're going to move on to Christianity here. Yes! Wait, let Dave get his Rolodeck of uh, jokes out. <laughs> the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints does not have a particular, quote, exorcism ordinance, but exorcisms would be considered a type of priesthood blessing. While they are a very rare practice in the church, there are two methods of performing an exorcism. The first is by anointing oil and laying of hands, followed by a blessing on a specific person and commanding the spirit to leave. Well, these Mormons have those magic undergarments protecting them, so I doubt <laughs> there's very much volume involved with them needing exorcism. So that makes sense. Your magic underpants, they protect you. <laughs> Have we talked about the? I mean, I know the underpants have been brought up, but what what is the deal with the underpants exactly? I don't know if we've ever talked about this before. I, I just know that if they wear magical undergarments for spiritual protection, my I'm knowledge does reasonable. not go much deeper than that. Okay, <laughs> sorry, I apologize. <laughs> the second and most common method is done by quote raising the hand to the square and then quote commanding the spirit away in the name of Jesus Christ and with the power of the holy Melchizedek priesthood. Exorcisms can only be performed by someone holding the Melchizedek priesthood, the higher of the two priesthoods in the church, and can be performed by anyone holding that priesthood. However, they are generally performed by bishops, missionaries, mission presidents, or stake presidents. So, so Mormon, yeah, Mormon missionaries. So, in other words, the nineteen-year-old kids that come knock on your door and, excuse me, sir, do you have a few minutes to talk about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? <laughs> I was going to say they have a whole hierarchy here: these bishops, mission presidents, stake presidents, all kind of stuff going on there. <laughs> Most pyramid schemes do. <laughs> <laughs> exorcisms are not recorded by the church, and therefore the number of exorcisms performed 
in Mormonism or unknown. Demonic possession is rarely talked about in the church. Demonic possession has been talked about only twice by Joseph Smith, the founder of the faith. The first time refers to his experience during the first vision, and he recorded the, the following in his quote, 1831 account of the first vision. I kneeled down and began to offer up the desires of my heart to God. I had scarcely done so, when immediately I was seized upon by some power which entirely overcame me and had such astonishing influence over me as to bind my tongue so that I could not speak. Thick darkness gathered around me, and it seemed to me, for a time, as if I were doomed to sudden destruction. But exerting all my powers to call upon God to deliver me out of the power of this enemy which had seized upon me, and at that very moment, when I was ready to sink into despair and abandon myself to destruction, not to an imaginary ruin, but to the power of some actual being from the unseen world who had such a marvelous power as I had never before felt in any being. Just at that moment of great alarm, I saw a pillar of light exactly over my head above the brightness of the sun, which descended gradually until it fell upon me. The Truer words have never say? been spoken. <laughs> I don't know, but that one sentence was the longest sentence I ever read in my life. I was looking for a goddamn comma or a period, and I got none of it. You I got it how Joseph it. Smith wrote it. <laughs> goddamn, Pally. Uh, and then his second experience comes from a journal entry in which he talks about the time he performed an exorcism on one of his friends. Oh, that was nice of him. <laughs> we should try that sometime. I wish we would have had a you know reading from that. I love you know a paragraph with one period in it. <laughs> it's fun to read well with that let's get to the heavy hitter the catholic church wait what are we talking about make, no, no twist now we're about to do 15 pages on the catholic church yeah. some might call this a cult episode <laughs> some might be right <laughs> see dave i'm taking some heat off you now <laughs> i'm a catholic i can say whatever i want about the catholic church technically i am too there you go the Catholic Church authorizes the use of exorcism for those who are believed to be the victims of demonic possession. In Roman Catholicism, exorcism is a sacramental, but not a sacrament, unlike baptism or confession. Unlike a sacrament, exorcism's, quote, integrity and efficiency do not depend on the rigid use of an unchanging formula or an ordered sequence of prescribed actions. Its efficiency depends on two elements— authorizing from valid and illicit church authorities and the faith of the exorcist. The Catechism of the Catholic Church states, quote, When the church asks publicly and authoritatively in the name of Jesus Christ that a person or object be protected against the power of the evil one and withdrawn from his dominion, it is called an exorcism. Mm. The Catholic Church revised the rite of exorcism in January of 1999, though the traditional rite of exorcism in Latin is allowed as an option. The ritual assumes that the possessed person retain their free will, though the demon may hold control over their physical body and involves prayers, blessings, and invocations with the use of the document of exorcisms and certain supplications. That's interesting. But who wants to hear it in English or another language, right? You want to hear it you know, chanted in Latin. That's what makes it interesting. That's why I would. That's why I bought a ticket and showed up. Yeah, you want to listen to the priest be like, "All right, look here, you demon, get out of this body." <laughs> that's fucking boring. Yeah, you want to hear? I want to be Latin. confused. I want to be confused and bewildered the whole time. <laughs> 
solemn exorcisms, according to the canon law of the church, can be exercised only by an ordained priest with the express permission of the local bishop and only after a careful medical examination to exclude the possibility of mental illness. The Catholic Encyclopedia of 1908 said, quote, Superstition ought not to be confounded with religion. However much their history may be interwoven nor magic, however it may be with a legitimate religious right. Hey, you never want to confuse superstition and religion. <laughs> Obviously. Oh, can't have those together. Things listed in the Roman ritual as being indicators of possible demonic possession include speaking foreign or ancient language of which the possessed has no prior knowledge, supernatural abilities and strength, knowledge of hidden or remote things which the possessed has no way of knowing, an aversion to anything holy, and profuse blasphemy and or sacrilege. All right, I have like four or five of these. Come on. <laughs> I would be down for a bonus episode of Dave going through an exorcism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> would you? Yeah. I'd, I'd sit in and watch that one. The first official guidelines for exorcisms were established in 1614. In the 15th century, Catholic exorcists were both priestly and lay, since every Christian was considered as having the power to command demons and drive them out in the name of Christ. These exorcists used the Benedictine formula, Vade Retro Satano, which translates to Step Back Satan. I got that tattooed, actually, on my shoulder. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. So not why I'm... <laughs> By the late 1960s, Roman Catholic exorcisms were seldom performed in the United States, but by the mid-70s, popular film and literature revived interest in the ritual with thousands claiming to be demonically possessed. Oh, yeah, that's what I was saying earlier. I'm possessed. No, I'm possessed. Right. Can a, a non-Catholic person be have an exorcism done to them? Yeah. I'm just saying, cat. You know, the Catholic Church generally is, are the is the group that performs exorcisms. So, me as a non-Catholic, you know, I don't necessarily believe in Catholicism. I wonder if I'm possessed. If they'll help me out. No, Dave. They might just say, "Screw you, Pally. That's on you." Just trying to keep an ace of spades. Maybe you in should my find God, pocket. and you'd be better off. <laughs> Maverick priests who belonged to fringes took advantage of the increase in demand and performed exorcisms with little or no official sanction. The exorcisms that they performed were, according to the contemporary American religion, quote, clandestine underground affairs undertaken without the approval of the Catholic Church and without the rigorous psychological screening that the Church required. In subsequent years, the Church took more aggressive action on the demon expulsion front. The practice of exorcism without consent from the Catholic Church is what prompted the official guidelines from 1614 to be amended. The amendment established the procedure that clergy members and each individual who claims to be impacted by demonic possession must follow. This includes the rule that the potentially possessed individual must be evaluated by a medical professional before any acts are taken. The primary reason for this action is to eliminate any suspicion of mental illness before the next steps of the procedure are taken. Since demonic possession was extremely rare and mental health issues are often mistaken for de demonic possession, the Vatican requires that each diocese have a specifically trained priest who is able to diagnose demonic possession and perform exorcisms when necessary. So you got like your psychiatrist and you got your priest and they both come <laughs> in and diagnose you. 
I'm taking the or I was gonna say I'm taking the ladder. I'm taking the former. (laughs) (laughs) Signs of demonic invasion may vary depending on the type of demon and its purpose, including loss or lack of appetite, cutting, scratching, and biting of skin, a cold feeling in the room, unnatural bodily postures, and change in the person's face and body. The possessed losing control of their normal personality and entering into a frenzy or rage and or attacking others. So Karens, they're just possessed, huh? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Change in a person's voice. Supernatural physical strength not subject to the person's build or age. Speaking in tongues. (laughs) Shalaka, mika, hakalaka, hoo-ha! Yeah, I think we definitely need to have an exorcism with Dave. It I mean, happens. Listen, that's terrible. And you just start that's speaking in tongues. I know. Can't help it. Oh, boy. We better call it priest <laughs> Prediction of future events, sometimes through dreams. Levitation and moving of objects. Expelling of objects. Expelling Intense of them from where? Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> All right. Know. Like rectal objects? <laughs> Or like puking them up, puking weird shit up. Maybe that's what they're talking about. Maybe. Well, that's like in the exorcism, right? That's what she doesn't she throw up a bunch? Not necessarily objects. That's what caught my eye. The objects. Interesting. Yeah, it's weird wording. Intense hatred and a violent reaction toward all religious objects or items. This really is Dave. Every (laughs) one of these, I think, is him. Antipathy towards entering a church, speaking Jesus's name, or hearing scripture. Well, that's just a trait of having common sense. (laughs) (laughs) In the process of an exorcism, the person possessed may be restrained so that they do not harm themselves or any person present. The exorcist then prays and commands for all demons to retreat. The Catholic priest recites certain prayers, including the Lord's Prayer, Hail Mary, and the Athanasian Creed. Exorcists follow procedures listed in the ritual of the exorcism revised by the Vatican in 1999. The Vatican offers a course on exorcisms, which in 2019 for the first time was opened to members of other Christian denominations. The course is called, quote, Exorcism and Prayer of Liberation, and is offered by the Sacerdos Institute at the Regina Apostolorum Pontifical Athenium. Say that three times fast. You say it, Polly. I'm not going through that again. I'd like to take that course. <laughs> That'd be a pretty interesting course. Yeah, I'd be down for that. It'd be kind of cool. Yeah, I'd like to get into those Vatican archives, too, see what's doing down there. I wonder what uh, other mem- members of other Christian denominations, so what do you have to be to get invited to one of these? Like, you can't just be like the average person, right? It's a good question. I'm going to submit I'm an willing, application. Dave, tomorrow. are you willing to take the courses to become a member of one of these Christian dom- denominations, a high-ranking member, and then we'll send you over to the Vatican to take this course? I might be willing to do this. All right. The Gale Encyclopedia of the Unusual and Unexplained describes that an exorcism was a confrontation and not simply a prayer, and once it has begun, it has to finish no matter how long it takes. If the exorcist stops the right, then the demon will pursue him, which is why the process being finished is so essential. After the exorcism has been finished, the person possessed feels, quote, kind of release of guilt and feels reborn and freed of sin. 
Not all exorcisms are successful the first time. It could take days, weeks, or months of constant prayer and exorcism. Months. It's a long time. Ooh, that is long. It's some dedication. Ian, did you know that they called Mike the exorcist in college? Oh, yeah? Why all, is that? All that pussy was possessed when he got a hold of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I definitely drove out some demons. That's where squirting was invented. Mike driving those demons out. <laughs> it was invented in 2000 whatever long he was in college <laughs> that's right yeah. 2004 to 2008 <laughs> somewhere in there the power of Christ compelled him <laughs> that's what I would say each thrust the power of Christ compels you the power of Christ compels you she'd be like would you shut the fuck up already <laughs> oh We'll be right back. We like to drink beer. A lot of it. After a long night of drinking and talking crime and conspiracies, there's nothing that wakes us up and gets us ready to start the day better than Just Brew Coffee. With a great selection of roast levels to choose from, you're guaranteed to find one that suits your style. Small batch roasted to highlight the unique features of each coffee bean, Just Brew Coffee caters to both casual and hardcore coffee drinkers alike. Since 2010, Just Brew Coffee has worked tirelessly to perfect the roasting process and technique, which has resulted in seriously delicious, always flavorful, and never bitter-tasting coffee. If you're already drinking JBC, raise your mug. If you're not, raise your standards. Check out their online store at youjustbrew.com and up your coffee game today. Use code NECRO15 to receive 15% off your order of two pounds or more. And remember, they roast, you just brew. Today's episode of Necronomapod is brought to you by Beardology. There are a lot of imitators out there, but there's only one place I buy my beard oil. Beardology beard oil nourishes your skin and won't leave you with that greasy feel. With over 17 cents available in their extensive product line, I trust my beard to Beardology. You can find Beardology at beardology.co. Use code NECRO15 to receive 15% off your purchase. Beardology, discover the best way to avoid the shave. With that, let's get into some cases of exorcisms that we that we haven't covered yet. The first one is the exorcism of Roland Doe. That's my street name, Roland Doe. <laughs> <laughs> money, money, money. <laughs> Mine's Roland Joints, so whatever. <laughs> Roland was born into a German Lutheran family. During the 1940s, the family lived in Cottage City, Maryland. Roland was an only child and depended upon adults in his household for playmates, primarily his Aunt Harriet. His aunt, who was a spiritualist, introduced Roland to the Ouija board when he expressed interest in it. Uh-oh, gateway to hell. Better watch yeah. out, kid. We did an episode on the Ouija board, didn't we? With like Zosu or Zosta on the Ouija board? Yeah, we weren't allowed to actually use it in any of our houses. That's right. Available back in the archives. Go check it out. But be careful. In the Ouija midnight. board's the gateway to hell. Just like your clit's the doorbell to hell. <laughs> Ouija board's the gateway to hell. <laughs> in mid-1949, several newspaper articles printed anonymous reports of an alleged possession and exorcism. The source of these reports is thought to be the family's former pastor, Luther Miles Schultz. According to one account, a total of, quote, 48 people witnessed this exorcism, nine of them Jesuits. Well, that's a big audience. Yeah, it's a lot of people. Yeah, holy fuck. Should equal an ironclad eyewitness account, so all right. 
I picture it like one of those like um, like arena surgery rooms where everyone's sitting up top watching the doctor perform <laughs> surgery down below. Like that's what these people are like scalping tickets. Right, right. Like a uh, Seinfeld eating Junior Mints <laughs> up in the uh, the uh, auditorium <laughs> watching them do this exorcism. According to author Thomas B. Allen, Jesuit priest Father Walter H. Halloran was one of the last surviving eyewitnesses of the events and participated in the exorcism. Allen wrote that a diary kept by attending priest father Raymond J. Bishop detailed the exorcism performed on the boy who went under the pseudonym Roland Doe, a.k.a. Robbie. Speaking in 2013, Allen, quote, emphasized that definitive proof that the boy known only as Robbie was possessed by malevolent spirits is unattainable. Maybe he instead suffered from mental illness or sexual abuse or fabricated the entire experience. According to Allen, Halloran also, quote, expressed his skepticism about potential paranormal events before his death. When asked in an interview to make a statement on whether the boy had been, whether or not the boy had been possessed, Halloran responded by saying, quote, no, I can't go on record. I never made an absolute statement about the things because I didn't feel I was qualified. What the fuck was he doing there then? <laughs> right. If he didn't believe in any of it, why are you there perpetuating this nonsense? According to Thomas B. Allen, after Aunt Harriet's death, the family experienced strange noises, furniture moving on its own accord, and ordinary objects such as vases flying or levitating when the boy was nearby. The family turned to their Lutheran pastor, Luther Miles Schultz, for help. Long interested in parapsychology, Schultz arranged for the boy to spend the night in his home in order to observe him. When parapsychologist J.B. Rhine learned that Schultz claimed to have witnessed household objects and furniture seemingly moving by themselves, Rhine, quote, wondered if Schultz unconsciously exaggerated some of the facts. Schultz advised the boy's parents to, quote, see a Catholic priest. Dave, nothing? I, I, the, past, the pastor requesting the boy stay at his house tonight? <laughs> what, what are you insinuating, Mike? Okay. Anyways, let's go on. Just, just wonder if you had any thoughts. <laughs> According to the traditional story, the boy then underwent a number of exorcisms. Edward Hughes, a Roman Catholic priest, conducted an exorcism on Roland at Georgetown University Hospital, a Jesuit institution. During the exorcism, the boy allegedly slipped one of his hands out of the restraints, broke a bedspring from under the mattress, and used it as a weapon, slashing the priest's arms and resulting in the exorcism ritual being halted. The family traveled to St. Louis, where Roland's cousin contacted one of his professors at St. Louis University, who in turn spoke to William S. Bowdern, an associate of the college church. Together, both priests visited Roland in his relative's home, where they allegedly observed, observed a shaking bed, flying objects, the boy speaking in a guttural voice, and exhibiting an inversion to anything sacred. Mm. Bodern was granted permission from the archbishop to perform another exorcism. Things are heating up. The exorcism took place at the Alexian Brothers Hospital in South St. Louis, Missouri. Before the next exorcism ritual began, another priest, Walter Halloran, was called to the psychiatric wing of the hospital, where he was asked to assist Bowdern. William Van Rue, a third Jesuit priest, was also there to assist. Halloran stated that during this scene, words such as, quote, evil and, quote, hell, along with other various marks, appeared on the teenager's body. 
Allegedly, during the Litany of Saints portion of the exorcism ritual, the boy's mattress began to shake. Moreover, Rellin broke Halloran's nose during the process. Halloran told a reporter that after the rite was over, the anonymous subject of the exorcism went on to lead, quote, a rather ordinary life. Oh, so it worked. Nice. It works, Dave. Cured. Secured <laughs> like that, huh? Send that demon back to hell, get on with your life. Hmm. In his 1993 book, Possessed, The True Story of an Exorcism, Thomas B. Allen offered, quote, the consensus of today's experts that Robbie was just a deeply disturbed boy, nothing supernatural about him. Then we got another author here that, that really digs in, and he, he kind of debunks this whole thing. Oh, yeah, a lot of these authors just kind of slam this story. Yeah. Author Mark Upsasnik questioned many of the supernatural claims associated with the story, proposing that Roland Doe was simply a spoiled, disturbed bully who threw deliberate tantrums to get attention or to get out of school. Opsnick reports that Halloran, who was present at the exorcism, never heard the boy's voice change, and he thought the boy merely mimicked Latin words he heard a clergyman say, rather than gaining a sudden ability to speak Latin. Opsnick reported that when marks were found on the boy's body, Halloran failed to check the boy's fingernails to see if he had made the marks himself. He also questioned the story of Hughes' attempts to exercise the boy and his subsequent injury, saying he could find no evidence such episode actually occurred. You're not convincing me here, Ian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> During his investigation, Opsnick discovered the exorcism did not take place at 3210 Bunker Hill Road in Mount Rainier, Maryland. The boy never lived in Mount Rainier. The boy's home was in Cottage City, Maryland. Much of the commonly accepted information about this story is based on hearsay, it's not documented, and was never fact-checked. There is no evidence Father E. Albert Hughes visited the boy's home and had him admitted to Georgetown Hospital, requested that the boy be restrained at the hospital, attempted an exorcism of the boy at Georgetown Hospital, or was injured by the boy during the exorcism. There is ample evidence refuting claims that Father Hughes suffered an emotional breakdown and disappeared from the Cottage City community. So, so in other words, every part of the story was a lie. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, see you guys next week. <laughs> Opsnick wrote that after he located and spoke with neighbors and childhood friends of the boy, most of whom he only referenced by initials, he concluded that, quote, the boy had been a very clever trickster, who had pulled pranks to frighten his mother and to fool children in the neighborhood. He's just doing shenanigans. Just like yep. Mike jumping off the, the top rope on the couch, giving his mom the flying elbow. <laughs> well, that was very much not a prank. That was <laughs> that was a borderline serious situation where I almost paralyzed my mom, <laughs> allegedly. It's not my fault she doesn't know how to take a bump. <laughs> so is anyone buying this, uh, this story here, then? In a word, no. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, I'm not thinking so either. I think my opinion, and, and we'll talk more as we go through the last two stories, I think that exorcisms are, like, imagining them is a terrifying thing. And, like, some of the exorcism movies uh, or are, to me, some of the scariest, but I don't really buy any of it. But it's it's very frightening to, like, imagine and think about that is there a chance that this happened? And if there even is the slightest chance, to me, it's pretty creepy to, to think about. But I don't really buy many of these stories that we discuss. I think I'm with you. Yeah, I do not believe that one. I did read that uh, William Peter Blatty used uh, 
the notes from this story when he wrote the book, The Exorcist. There you go. I have seen that movie, so I can brag about that one. It's scary. I think it holds up well, The Exorcist. It's still pretty scary. Have you seen it, Ian? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So when I first watched it, I wasn't as terrified as I thought I was going to be, but that was only because all I had ever heard about it was that it was like the scariest movie of all time. Watching it, it was pretty creepy, but it wasn't that terrifying to me. Yeah. Um, but looking back at like the, the the time when it came out, I could absolutely see why that's regarded as one of the scariest movies of all time and why that made such an impact on people. Mm-hmm. And then once you kind of know what to expect with the movie, you watch it a second time. And it actually, I think to me, was like creepier because I knew what to expect. Mm-hmm. I like so. in that later version when they added back in that upside down spider walk of the girl going on the stairs. That's, that's what terrifying. I was going to bring up. That is super <laughs> creepy. So yeah. when did they add that in? I think we've talked about this before, but I don't remember. It was much, much later. Like for like a like a VHS release or like a DVD release? Or... Yeah, I think so. Director's cut or something. Yeah. And then you you told me today, Dave, I didn't know there was a there was a second and third part to that, like movies. Yeah, I don't think the second one wasn't very good, but Exorcist 3 is really a good movie. It's really creepy. Check that out. It's terrifying. I love it. We may or may not be talking about Exorcist 3. In our hundredth episode, really? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was not even a planned teaser. <laughs> no, it wasn't. But I love that movie. We may or may not be bringing that movie up again in a couple <laughs> Excellent. weeks. Excellent. What episode is this? Ninety-eight. Yeah. Okay. How about that? Who would have thought, right? Yeah. So, moral of this story: I'm going to go back to my uh, street name, Roland Doe. <laughs> <laughs> Our second case is the Tanaku exorcism. Around 1990, the Socialist Republic of Romania, which officially promoted state atheism, collapsed, resulting in the end of the persecution of Christians in communist Romania, as well as the revival of Christian monasticism in the country. In January 2005, 23-year-old Marisica Cornisti moved to the Tanaku monastery. She was born into a broken family, and following her father's suicide, she and her brother grew up in an orphanage. When she was 19, she worked as a nanny in Germany, and then for a family in Benat. A friend of hers from the orphanage became a nun in the Tanaku Monastery, and she encouraged her to also become a nun. Mike, who's your favorite nun? Uh, Sister Hazel. <laughs> okay. Greatest band of all time. <laughs> I was going for the nun from Californication that that blew Hank Moody. (laughs) How would you expect me to make that connection? (laughs) It's the coolest nun I've ever seen. I don't know what you're talking about. That's from his dreams, though. It's not even a real nun. He's dreaming Mm -hmm. it. That's all right. Spoiler alert if you watch Californication. (laughs) Whatever. The show's been off the air for like eight years. You know, speaking of the Romanian government falling apart, have you guys ever seen any of those videos from that time? No, like no, Nikolai Ceausescu got deposed on in 1989 at the end of the year, and there's video of like his, uh, like the military arrested him. And they had a real quick tribunal in the back room, sentenced him to death, and took his, him and his wife out back in an alley and shot him with AK-47s. God damn! Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I don't think I want to watch that. <laughs> that sounds awful. They pick his head up so he could show, and they disseminated the video all over so the Romanian people could see that he was dead. Holy shit! Yeah, it's a cool story. God damn. Watch the video sometime. Soon after she became a nun, she began giggling during mass, and by April, her mental state deteriorated, 
and doctors at the local psychiatric hospital diagnosed her as being schizophrenic. After a two-week treatment, they released her into the care of the monastery. Cornici's friends also stated that she never exhibited any signs of mental illness. Her brother later testified he was with her when he saw Satan, quote, go into her, and also maintained that she suffered from demonic possession. What does it look like when Satan, quote, goes into you? Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Daniel Corganeau was the 29-year-old priest of the monastery. A decade before the events, he played football in his hometown. He began following religious studies at Lazi University after he could not secure admission in the Bucharest University where he wanted to study sports or law. A year later, a businessman from his hometown recruited him to help build a monastery in the hills near the city. He was ordained by the local bishop who expected that he would continue his studies. Nevertheless, he gave up his university education in order to devote himself to running the monastery. In 2003, Father Corganu had some disputes with the diocese. When the bishop came to read him the canon law, he argued that the rules were, quote, 19th century innovations made by Freemasonry. The original community of monks dissolved as they left to become priests, and instead, Corganu organized a community of nuns who were, according to all accounts, quote, completely devout to him. So a cult, in other words. Yeah, this guy's building a cult. Yeah, a cult of bad habits. Father Corganu thought it was not just mental illness, but rather that Cornishi had been possessed by Satan. He would later claim that, quote, you can't take the devil out of people with pills, and that an exorcism was necessary. Sell it. It's what he thinks of science. <laughs> not, not great advice. <laughs> In order to restrain her from violent movements, including those causing her to hit herself, the nuns bound her hands and feet and locked her in a room as they participated in the liturgy commemorating the ascension of Jesus. A few days later, they chained her to a cross with her arms stretched and carried her into the church so that they could anoint her. Jesus Christ, come on. Torture. Yeah, I mean... That really is intense. Thinking of somebody having a a break with reality, like a schizophrenic break with reality, and then people doing this to them, Mm -hmm. it's terrible. According to one of the nuns, Cornici had been restrained in the same manner that others who were demonically possessed were. She stated that if Cornici had not been restrained, she could, quote, have killed herself or killed someone else. With regard to Cornici, the nun stated, quote, she knew that she was possessed by evil spirits because she was begging us to tie her up and help her. Oh, I'm sure she was. Yeah, right. (laughs) So by all means, crucify her. Yeah. (laughs) Her wrists and forehead were then anointed with holy oil, and she was kept in the church for three days. They put a towel into her mouth to stop her from cursing and praying to cast out the devil as they wet her lips with holy water. Cornici was then moved to her room and untied. She was, according to Father Corganu, quote, cured. She was later given bread and tea and fainted after eating. The nuns could not wake her up and sense that her pulse was weak, and as a result, they called an ambulance. While in the ambulance, she was administered six doses of adrenaline, and by the time she reached the hospital, she was dead. This is outrageous, this story. What's a dose of adrenaline? How much is that? I don't know. I, I uh, ask, like, even if you give me an answer, I'm going to know what the fuck that means. But <laughs> yeah. still, that just seems... Like the syringe full that Travolta put in Uma Thurman's chest in Pulp Fiction? Yeah. So we'll call that one dose? You imagine six? Goddamn, Pally. 
the police were notified by the doctors at the hospital who noticed marks left on her wrists and ankles by the chains. The 2005 autopsy claimed that she had died from dehydration, exhaustion, and lack of oxygen. Father Corganu and, fo- and the four nuns who helped him were charged with murder and depriving a person of liberty. Prosecutors sought a life sentence for Corganu, but he was sentenced in 2007 to 14 years in prison, while the four nuns were sentenced to between five and eight years. Many individuals that were present in the courtroom to support Father Corganu were really upset at the, annou- at the announcement of the verdict. And from what I read, it was like kind of... Uh, rambunctious <laughs> that, that wasn't the word i was looking for but yeah people were real fired up about it there was they were very vocal that he should not have been in trouble for this at all yeah he should have got five hail marys and an our father and he should be forgiven right <laughs> it's punishment enough no swats right. with a paddle day <laughs> no come on he's got to pray it away <laughs> the court of appeals reduced his sentence to seven years and he was freed on parole in November 2011 after serving two-thirds of his punishment. Can we interview this asshole? Uh, Dave's sure. got questions. <laughs> yeah, questions. First of all, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Kapoor in the office. <laughs> As Cornici was lowered into her grave during her funeral, quote, claps of thunder were heard, leading Corgano to conclude, quote, that the will of God has been done. Oh, fuck this guy. Get out of here. Yeah. What does that even mean? That she was supposed to die? I don't know. Yeah, like, like, what a (laughs) shitty thing to say. Mm. The Romanian Orthodox Church closed down the monastery, and Corganu was banned. Check ass. In 2014, however, it was found that the cause of death was actually due to an overdose of adrenaline given in the ambulance, with the coroner stating, quote, I was part of the team who handled the exhumation of the nun's body. It was concluded that the woman died of an overdose of adrenaline. Don't ask me. I don't know why the judges did not take that into account. Father That's a little Corgan, odd. Yeah? Who asked her to, for her to be exhumed? Uh, you're asking questions? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> well, you know, it was, what, seven years later? I assume somebody uh, still had questions or wanted to take a, close, a, a fresh look at it. Interesting. Or maybe it was the father's uh, defense team. But no, he was already out of jail. Hmm, I don't know. That, father, is, that is a good question. That's odd. Father Kurganu stated that, quote, My biggest mistake was that I called the ambulance when I saw she was not moving. I think she died because the medics who came with the ambulance tried to resuscitate her by giving her too much adrenaline. Had I not called the ambulance, she would have been well now. That's a, that's a mistake you made, huh? Yeah, that's a reach there, buddy. That quote, my biggest mistake was I called an ambulance when yeah. I saw she was not moving. That's not right. That's not the right approach. Not the fact that you crucified her and didn't feed her for three days. Right. And shoved a rag in her mouth. Yeah, right. In Tanaku, many people continue to maintain that Cornici was indeed possessed rather than mentally ill and that Corganu did his best to help her. One woman living there stated, quote, it is not as if they actually killed her. They did not stab or shoot her. They took her to the hospital alive. Okay. It's a very literal statement. <laughs> right. But I mean, so, okay. Deprived her of food and water. <laughs> right. And hung her on a cross. <laughs> this yeah. is very similar to the, to the Annalise story with the, with the priest being charged and everything. There's yeah. really out there. There was like 
a lot of exorcisms that end in death because they last so fucking long. Mm. It's crazy. Well, I mean, to be fair, if, you know, it seems like the medics really did fuck this one up with, you know, shooting her up with all this adrenaline. So, you know, a lot of that goes on them as well. But to act like all these, you know, these people who were a part of the exorcism are, you know, innocent. Like, come on. You fucking had a huge part mm-hmm. in all of this. You know what Annalise would say about that? What would she say? Fuck me, Peter. Fuck me. <laughs> That's all she knew how to say. That was really <laughs> it, I think. <laughs> all right. And our last one on the list is the exorcism of Emma Schmidt. Father Reisinger performed his very first exorcism in 1912. The subject was a girl from the town of Marathon, Wisconsin, whose name was either Anna Eklund or Emma Schmidt. She's been written about under several names, presumably to protect her identity. She had begun to manifest symptoms of demonic possession when she was 14. Reisinger, who became known as, quote, a potent and mystic exorcist of demons, as noted in the February 17, 1936 issue of Time, was called upon to perform the exorcism. Reisinger drove the demons out of the girl and went on to help many others he believed were in need of exorcisms. Many years later, in 1928, Emma was in her 40s and found herself once again experiencing symptoms of demonic possession. Twice in one lifetime? Yeah, I guess so. So you don't have any like residual, you know, vaccination type effects? You're susceptible again? <laughs> I guess Fuck. so. Fuck! Carl Vogel, a theologian, documented the case saying, quote, She wanted to pray, wanted to go to church, and as usual, receive Holy Communion. But some interior hidden power was interfering with her plans. The situation became worse instead of improving. Words cannot express what she had to suffer. She was actually barred from the consolations of the church, torn away from them by force. She could not help herself in any way and seemed to be in the clutches of some mysterious power. She was conscious of some sinister inner voices that kept on suggesting most disagreeable things to her. These voices tried their utmost to arouse thoughts of the most shameful type within her and tried to induce her to do things unmentionable and even to bring her to despair. The poor creature was helpless and secretly was of the opinion that she would become insane. That'll ruin your day. Fuck. (laughs) Yeah. I want to take some Holy Communion, man. That stuff was delicious. I missed that. It was not delicious. What are you talking about? I thought it was great. It was literally like a circle of cardboard on your tongue. No, it tasted good. Oh, man. When you were a young lad going to grade school, did they still do the... uh... The wine stuff, because you know everyone up there goes um, up and shares a glass of wine. They just wipe it off a little yeah, bit. Right. Can you imagine that right. in the yeah. age of COVID? Who would yeah? Who would have ever thought that we would have a pandemic doing <laughs> shit like that? <laughs> they just um, spin. They just spin the cup around, right? They wipe it and then spin it around. They so wipe and spin. The wipe person. and spin. Yeah. Wipe. Yeah. So every fourth person, you got to like count in line. Like that fucks four people. <laughs> people ahead of me. I know that motherfucker's dirty. I got to drink after him. It makes um, me sick to my stomach when I think I ever partook. <laughs> And, uh, so for like the Sunday services they did, I'm trying to remember if they had wine at like the school masses. Probably not. I don't think so. And I, I just can't remember. I want to say they did for like when we were older, but I, I really don't remember. You know where they did have wine? Know. In the back room when I was an altar boy. And <laughs> Did they really? <laughs> <laughs> they had, that was good. Church wine is good wine. <laughs> but if there's any altar boys out there in the audience, take some, send me some of those uh, communion wafers. 
<laughs> Send me a box. Hit, uh, hit me up. I'll give you the first of all. Our d- mailing first of all, address. I, I have a feeling there's no altar boys listening to our show. Second, <laughs> it's not it's not church wine, Dave. I believe it's the blood of Christ. Oh, yeah, that's right. Maybe that's why it tastes so good. <laughs> that's exactly why it tasted so good. It's the blood of Christ. Transfiguration is out the. I believe that's what it's called. You're the expert, man. I don't remember. I slept my way through school. <laughs> And I mean that in the snoring sense, not the banging my teacher sense. <laughs> you weren't banging all those nuns? I didn't have any nun teachers, actually. Not a single nun teacher. Hmm. Yeah, weird. You're missing out, pal. No, I don't think I am. <laughs> I heard they were quite vicious. Break your knuckles with that ruler. Yeah, see, I ain't trying to have that. Break Meanwhile, I was in her vagina. <laughs> was rough one <laughs> this is what happens when ian doesn't talk and he just lets dave and i just kind of go on and on here <laughs> meanwhile i was in public school doing whatever the fuck i want yeah yeah seriously fucking probably in a gang all you public school kids <laughs> <laughs> so while preaching on mission at saint joseph's parish in erling iowa reisinger made an unusual request of reverend joseph steiger Reisinger wanted to bring the possessed woman from Wisconsin to Steiger's rural parish to perform an exorcism where it would avoid drawing unwanted attention. Steiger agreed and the woman was brought to the Franciscan convent just outside of town. According to Vogel, quote, The woman was placed firmly upon the mattress of an iron bed. Upon the advice of Father Theophilus, her arm sleeves and her dress were tightly bound so as to prevent any devilish tricks. The strongest nuns were selected to assist her in case anything might happen. There was. A, <laughs> what does that mean? The strongest nuns. <laughs> I bet they were hot the ones, too. The, the ones doing bench press, like in the gym. <laughs> Wasn't that a scene from uh, Sister Act where they're like lifting weights? Mm. You guys remember that Whoopi Goldberg movie? Yeah, I don't think I saw Sister that. Act. I never saw that. Oh, I think there's a scene where they're like lifting weights in like the the convent, and it's hilarious. There was a sp- suspicion that the devil might attempt attacking might attempt attacking the exorcist during the ceremony. Should anything unusual happen, the nuns were told to hold the woman quiet upon her bed. Soon after, the prescribed prayers of the church were begun. The woman sank into unconsciousness and remained in that state throughout the period of the exorcism. Her eyes were closed up so tightly that no force could open them. So she's asleep the whole time. That's not going to work. Yeah, seriously, dude. Give me a sleep aid, and I'd be out through an exorcism, too. Usually my sleep aid is Miller Lite. (laughs) But when Reisinger began the rite of exorcism, the woman, quote, dislodged herself from the bed and from the hands of her guards and her body, carried through the air, landed high above the door of the room, and clung to the wall with a tenacious grip. All present were struck with a trembling fear. Father Theophilus alone kept his peace. Okay, so that's pretty terrifying here. Yeah, that would be fucking Yeah, scary. that would be horrifying. The attending sisters dragged her back down to the bed and restrained her. Loud howling sounds began to emanate from the woman, drawing the attention of everyone in the convent. They came to see what was happening, but many couldn't handle it. Vogel wrote, quote, The physical condition of the possessed presented such a gruesome sight because of the distorted members of her body that it was unbearable. What does she have to look like to elicit that quote? God damn. Yeah. 
The exorcism lasted for a total of 23 days. <laughs> 23 days? <laughs> Holy shit. What the fuck? After like two days, aren't you like, oh, I don't think it's working, guys. <laughs> right. During which the woman was consistently vomiting things resembling chewed macaroni and tea leaves, oh. though she wasn't actually eating anything, and spoke in numerous voices, making inhuman animal sounds. Hmm. She seemed to understand languages she had never spoke or heard before and foamed at the mouth, enraged when Reisinger spoke Latin blessings over her. She's got all the signs. She's checking the boxes here. Vogel wrote, quote, She was conscious at once when someone gave her articles sprinkled with holy water or presented her with things secretly blessed, whereas ordinary secular objects would leave her perfectly indifferent. When asked how many spirits had possessed the woman, she responded that there were many, and that Beelzebub was the leader. Under Reisinger's questioning, Beelzebub stated that the woman's own father was the cause of the possession, having, quote, cursed the spirits into her, and that they had possessed her under the command of Satan himself. Yeah. <laughs> Beelzebub's a bad motherfucker, man. Dave's like, that's so fucking metal, man. I love it. <laughs> At one point, when Reisinger was asked to speak with the woman's father, whom Beelzebub said was with them, a voice claiming to be Judas Iscariot began speaking instead. When Reisinger asked what business he had with the woman, Judas replied, quote, to bring her despair so that she will commit suicide and hang herself. She must get the rope. She must go to hell. Come on, Judas. Pretty fucking rude. <laughs> sell jesus out for intense. 30 pieces of silver and then you're doing this bullshit too it's ridiculous <laughs> what a cocksucker i know <laughs> didn't and he hung himself didn't he judas in the garden my biblical I think knowledge that's right. uh, I is think, true i don't i gotta go back to bible study <laughs> he was so despondent because he gave up the lord he uh, hung himself i believe Poor and now he's trying to get this yeah. this female to hang herself whatever allegedly other Other voices claiming to be emma's father jacob as well as his child murdering concubine mina eventually spoke as well (laughs) there's a phrase you don't hear every day child murdering concubine (laughs) hey you're that child murdering concubine aren't you i think we just found the tattoo i'm getting from the 500th episode child murdering concubine Right across my scrote. <laughs> That's a cool band name right there, man. Child Murder and Concubine. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Coming to Cleveland, Child Murder and Concubine. <laughs> <laughs> With opening act, Aborted Fetus. Vogel wrote that during the exorcism, the demonic presence inside the woman began to physically deform her, oh. saying, quote, the woman's face became so distorted that no one could recognize her features. Then, too, her whole body became so horribly disfigured that the regular contour of her body vanished. Her pale, death-like, and emaciated head, often assuming the size of an inverted water pitcher, became as red as glowing embers. Her eyes protruded out of their sockets. Her lips swelled up to the proportions equaling the size of hands. And her thin, emaciated body was bloated to such enormous size that the pastor and some of the sisters drew back out of fright, thinking that the woman would be torn to pieces and burst asunder. At times, her abnormal region and extremities became as hard as iron and stone. 
In such instances, the weight of her body pressed into the iron bedstead so that the iron rods of the bed bent to the floor. That's not pleasant. No, that sounds (laughs) terrifying if you were to actually witness something like this. Her lips were the size of hands. Like it sounds like something out of Hellraiser. Yeah. Fuck. Her eyes were coming out of her sockets and stuff. That's fucked up. Reisinger said that Lucifer himself had appeared during the process. Vogel wrote, quote, Once Father Theophilus saw Lucifer standing visibly before him for half an hour, a fiery being in his characteristically demonic reality. He had a crown on his head and carried a fiery sword in his hand. Beelzebub stood alongside him. During this time, the whole room was filled with flames. All right. Okay. (laughs) So they were just standing in there for half an hour and the room was on fire. (laughs) All right. On December 23rd, 1928, when Reisinger was exhausted and appeared appeared to those around him to have aged 20 years from performing the exorcism for three days straight without sleep, the devils finally receded back to hell. The woman stood upright suddenly in her bed and then collapsed. A piercing sound filled the room, followed by the repeated names of the demons inside her. This slowly faded away and was replaced by a horrible, unearthly stench. The woman opened her eyes and shouted, quote, My Jesus mercy, praised be Jesus Christ. Mm. Well, <laughs> and that was that. <laughs> they defeated Beelzebub and Judas and fucking whoever else was there. Everyone was there, apparently. Lucifer. Lucifer. Standing right in the room for half an hour. In a fiery hell for 30 minutes. The whole idea of hell is just ludicrous to begin with, in my humble opinion, as a blessed. Well, you don't got to bring him into this. What did he ever do? He just tried to make a living rapping. <laughs> well, fuck, you got to bring him into all this. Poor guy. <laughs> Move, bitch. Get out the way. Get out the way, bitch. Get out the way. This guy. He's pretty good, man. Not bad. <laughs> I used to love ludicrous back in the day. Some sources say that the case of Emma Schmidt was the first and last exorcism officially sanctioned by the Catholic Church. While some believe that the events are fiction, there are allegedly recordings to document it. Also, according to an online source, local Erling legend says that claw marks in solid oak doors can still be seen from the woman trying to escape. Mm, Still to this day. To this fucking day. Believe it or not. We don't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I sure would like to get into those Vatican archives, though, and see what all these records say. I bet there's there's some scary-ass shit in those. Oh, my God, yeah. Dave, you need to make the next, uh, what the fuck are those Tom Hanks movies? Um, Oh, the Dan Brown books? Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever watch those movies? You probably don't like them. I really like those movies. (laughs) I I think they're great movies, though. But, of course, yeah. I mean, they're a bit highly religious i really dig those movies though the um angels and demons i think is the better the best one is it i think i can't remember the three of them though anyways you need he i think he gets into like the uh the vatican record room at one point mm. in one of those movies i'd like to get in there. Can, yeah well okay i don't know about exorcism guys i don't think i'm buying it i find them extremely interesting to study and terrifying to think about if they were true, but I just don't believe them. 
Yeah, I agree. I love all the movies, I mean, though. I, they're really fun, and they're creepy, and when they film people like moving in double speed, so their mo- movements are all whacked out. There's some right. really great movies, but yeah, I'm not buying it either. I mean, you have to be a religious person to believe in them, right? Like, you have to be. And so if you're not a religious know, person, you? You, just, you can't really get into this, I don't think. Can you believe in demon possession without being religious? I don't know. I, I don't know. I Can you? I mean, that might be a whole side conversation. Maybe. Because then if, I mean, then then what is demon possession? Then what is, what are demons? So you're saying you there might be evil, but no good? I mean, I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud. Sure. It's a question of the ages. Ian, That's your crazy. thoughts on good versus evil? Uh, like like heaven versus hell kind of stuff? Just any of it. I don't know. I was just oh, no, no, to... I do. I did not believe in any of this. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. The exorcisms are creepy. Go watch those gin videos, though, man. They're fucking cool. Yeah. So. Those are also fucking creepy. The idea of demons is super fucking cool. Gin are super cool. But uh, like to believe in that, I just feel like like to believe in that, don't you have to like believe in kind of like an afterlife of some sorts? I guess. I don't know. Can you believe that like there's just some things that. that are not explainable? Like I don't believe in an afterlife, but I believe there might be. I do be think there are things that are uh, things that know, are unexplainable. unexplainable. Sure, I do think there are things that are unexplainable. I, I, but I don't necessarily know if they're evil demons. I mean, I would. We're going down a rabbit hole, I think, with that one. But yeah, I don't know. I find these stories interesting. Like, even though I don't believe in this shit, I think they're really fun to talk about and to look into and to hear these stories, especially like this, like the history of them. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Demons are cool. I have a print of Baphomet hanging on my wall, so you know I'm all about the demons. <laughs> He's team demon on this one. <laughs> all right. Ian, you got anything else for uh, exorcisms? Anything else we need to touch on? Nope. It's always interesting. You know what? Actually, uh, I liked reading about all the other religions that have them because I, I honestly, I always just thought of Catholic exorcisms. That's a good point. I didn't think of all the other ones. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, it was interesting to hear how they all like kind of expel their evils and their demons and cleanse their spirits and such. That was kind of interesting. Dave, you got anything else on exorcisms? Anything else you want to touch on for this one? No, it's a it's a fun story to talk about and imagine, but I'm just not buying it. All right. Big fan of exorcism the, movies, though. I, the exorcism of Emily Rose is creepy as fuck, too. Yeah, that's a good I one. Think. All right. Very good behavior tonight, Dave. Proud of you. I mean, no just, one's going to be writing any iTunes reviews about this one. You know, it's following my heart, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> it's piling on at some point, you know. Oh, boy. All right. Uh, so <laughs> before we jump ahead, I do want to give a quick apology out. I know last week we had a couple episodes. I think it was a bonus show and Golden State Killer Part 2 where our audio was a little off. Um, unfortunately, you know, with the... Uh, the COVID and pandemic and every all that shit that's going on. Um, we're not always able to record together. And then when we're all doing it from our separate quarters, we have internet issues that uh, occasionally pop up. So we kind of tried to fight through it last week to give you guys an episode. I know that um, the Golden State Killer episode might have been a little tough with some internet connections. So we apologize for that. We always try to give you the, uh, the best quality we can. Hopefully this week was better. And, uh, you know, we'll continue to roll with the punches that that we get and uh, keep putting out good content for you guys. So apologies for that. We know it, it wasn't the best uh, or up to our usual standards, but hopefully this week is better and we'll be good moving forward. With that being said, we have some Patreon shout outs. 
I have a couple shout outs here that uh, I was supposed to give out last week that I forgot about. So um, a special Patreon shout out to Emily Komen and Jason Wingate. Uh, Emily threatened me with physical harm, so hopefully she doesn't hurt me now that I made this right. Also shout outs to new patrons Brandy Carter, Soul and Panda, Steph, Jennifer West, Kobe Porter, Lucy, Aja Quintal, John Bateman, Cody Henson, Scott Townsend, Jesse Loves You, Jonathan Bartlett, and Alex Flansberg. Thank you guys very much. We appreciate your support. We are at patreon.com slash necronomapod if you are, avail- are interested in all of our bonus content. Ian, what do you have for us? For iTunes, I have one for uh, the first one. They just put a whole bunch of underscores. Um, <laughs> and then Julie Beal, Seaborn1994, and Warner08. Thanks, guys, for the awesome reviews. Yep. Dave, you got anything else you want to get off your chest? Any last things? Mm, let me think. No, no, maybe, no, 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 not really. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> He's good. He's got it all off his chest. Um, we are at Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, at Necronomapod. We appreciate hearing from you guys, so uh, feel free to reach out to us. We love it. And uh, that's it. Hope you enjoyed this episode, and we'll see you next week. All right. You guys ready for a cool down beer? Cheers.